But the physical need will never solve and satisfy the ache in a person's soul for something more real. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through his series called Close Encounters with Jesus. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible, I can invite you to open them to the book of John chapter 4, John 4. What I'm going to do is a little mini-series called Close Encounters with Jesus. And I can't think of anything to start this off probably any greater than John chapter 4, The Woman at the Well. And because this is such a unique picture of God's love that transcends really the the prejudices sometimes that people can have. I believe that's why this uh, particular story in this book is so, so wonderful. And again, we'll be looking at the close encounters that Jesus had with different people throughout his ministry there in Israel. Now, and you know, this is like I say, when we look at this story today in the Bible and many of the other stories where Jesus interacted with people and how he did it, he took where they were at and he then used that to bring about the gospel message. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word now, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. Give us your wisdom, your understanding and Holy Spirit, may you now come. And may we never be the same after hearing your word, for you change us from the inside out. And so we just ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and encourage us, open our eyes, open our hearts, and God, that we would remember these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we remember in John chapter 3, this is that great place in the Bible where John 3.16 is found, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And this was also said to a man who was a religious leader of the day, a man named Nicodemus. And he came, the Bible says, to Jesus by night. Maybe he was too embarrassed to come in the daytime, I don't know. But whatever it was, he started inquiring to him about, really, about the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Now this really confused Nicodemus because Nicodemus was a religious leader, yet he didn't understand some of the simplistic things about the gospel because it isn't religion, it's a relationship with God. And this is one of the things you're always going to find that Jesus was always trying to correct as he would minister to people. People love to come to God in mechanics, saying, look what I did. Okay, now God, now you do something. Rather than coming to God as a child and God as a father ministering to us. And so we remember Jesus said, you must be born of the Spirit. 
How do we become born of the Spirit? Well, we ask to become born of the Spirit. What was lost in the Garden of Eden when man would come and walk with, uh, God would come and walk with man in the cool of the evening? Fellowship with God. That's what God wanted. That's what God still wants. And so what has broken that is sin. But man's attempt to replace that relationship, we find oftentimes, is through the mechanics of religion. That's the do's and don'ts. Look at all the things I did. See, God, how worthy I am for you to do something for me. And God says, I just want to love you. Well, that's what we find here in John chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisee had heard that Jesus had made more disciples than John... The Bible here tells us that Jesus didn't baptize anyone but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to the Galilee. Now, it's funny to me, if you look at this, that Jesus has got a thriving ministry going there in, in he decides then to leave. God does that a lot of times. Why is that? Because he causes us to rely on him. Well, the Bible says, but he needed to go through Samaria and he came to the city of Samaria, which is Sychar, which is near the plot of ground which Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And by the way, there was a well there, and we're going to read about this particular well. Wells were kind of a central gathering point. They didn't have the local uh, Starbucks coffee thing or whatever. Water was an extreme need for everyone, whether it be for your animals or you yourself. And so it was a place of gathering. But the problem is, because of the Middle East heat, it is so hot in the middle of the day, no one would really go. You would go to the well either early in the morning or late at night, and everybody would sit around and kind of drink water and talk and fellowship. Well, it tells us here, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour of the day, about noon. So he gets into town. It's hot and dry. He goes to the well. And this is again where a few people would maybe come sporadically through the day. And so we find here in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now, friends, this is pretty amazing because... Because of the way people would dress and their accent, you could tell where they were from. Well, what is, what is cool here is Jesus comes, he's there, there at the well. Why did he go to the well? Because generally, again, that's where people would socially gather. Jesus was a person that was not scared of people, but he liked to be around people so he could share the gospel. I believe that, again, for all of us, we always need to have an eye for those who need to hear about him. And so he went to this place, the well, and there comes this woman of Samaria, and he says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, asked to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Don't you realize, sir, that there's a prejudice between you and us? Now, where did this prejudice come from? Well, we've talked about this a little bit before, but the Assyrian Empire 
when it conquered Israel because God had warned them, if you get away from my principles, if you get away from loving and serving me, your enemies will come and overrun you. And that's exactly what they did. And what, this, what the Assyrian Empire would do is they would transpose and move people around. Then they would intermarry. And thus you had a bunch of half-breeds. And that's what the true Jews viewed the Samaritan as, is a bunch of half-breeds. And we don't associate with you because you've mixed yourself with the Gentiles. And the woman knew that. I no doubt believe that this woman, because it was the very first prominent thing that she spoke of, was that of prejudice. She was very concerned that you didn't like me or I shouldn't like you because of something in our past or something in our culture. And so he said, give me a drink. Well, this creates a real issue. And she begins to explain what that is. She says, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I like this because what Jesus does here is he takes a common need that she had and moves it into a spiritual aspect. Do you realize every day we come around people who have physical needs? But the physical need will never solve and satisfy the ache in a person's soul for something more real. In other words, you can have all the things that there are, but it'll always leave you empty because that is not what you really need. And Jesus, knowing this about this woman and about all of us, addresses that very part. Why is that? Because God's concerned about the eternity We're always concerned about the temporary. We like to have our needs met immediately. God says, but I've got something greater for you that's going to carry you through the months, through the years, through the decades, and then into eternity. And so the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Jesus is beginning to play with their mind a little bit. I think that's not a bad thing. I think really when we evangelize people, when we try to share the gospel with people, we can begin to ask them questions that sometimes move them out of their comfort zone. Now, first of all, Jesus, being a Jew, asked a Samaritan woman, give me a drink, and yet Jesus has nothing in which to hold the water. He doesn't have any bucket to lower down into the well. He doesn't have a rope. He doesn't have a cup to drink from, which would then imply, I'm willing to drink out of your bucket. I'm willing to drink out of your cup. Now, to me, that's really interesting because since... If you really study the true uh, Jewish philosophy concerning prejudice, if you were to go downtown 
And you're walking along and you have your robe on. And again, the reason men wore robes as well is they didn't have sunblock 95. So they would wear these robes to keep the x-rays, the sun burning rays off of them. They would walk downtown and if your coat happened to flip open and touch a Gentile in the marketplace, you would need then to go to the temple and ask for forgiveness because you had contact with a Gentile. Talk about prejudice. That was pretty serious stuff. Well, Jesus says, look, give me a drink. Jesus is indirectly saying, I am willing to share the cup with you. Now, friends, that's pretty radical. That's pretty extreme. And the woman recognizes this. Because, again, he had nothing to draw with. He had no cup to drink from. And yet, he's saying, I would like to drink from the well that, the, the water that you would bring forth. But I have living water. So, she says, where do you get this living water? I like that. You know, it's always good to sometimes pose a question to somebody that is settled in where they're at that knocks them out of their comfort zone. You'll always find that sometimes in different conversations. You'll be in this place and then God will come along and ask you a question. Now notice it says, if we go back here to the first part, it said, but he needed to go through Samaria. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? It's out of the way. But Jesus had a close encounter for this woman that would change her life. First of all, I believe for a true person who loves Jesus, as Jesus did, we must be willing to inconvenience ourselves for the sake of the gospel. In other words, I know what I want to do, but I'm going to do, God, what you want me to do, because that's what really being a true follower of Christ is. A lot of people sometimes want to be ministers. I've always told people, you're either truly called to be a minister if you think you want to be a minister or you're crazy, one or the other. Because a lot of times people only see maybe me on a Sunday morning up here or whatever. They don't see you at three o'clock in the morning in the hospital praying for somebody's sick child. They don't see you on a nice warm summer afternoon doing a memorial service or a wedding or some other thing. And so it's really easy to somehow come up with a concept of serving God is a, a life of convenience when really when you're in the ministry and which we all are, we are in a life of inconvenience. That means I've got to be willing to change my schedule for other people. Now, friends, that's not just for Jesus. I don't believe that's just for ministers. I believe that's for all of us. We have to be willing to say, okay, God, I'm willing to, as I accept you as Savior, interrupt my life for your great purpose. You see, we're someday all going to die. We're all going to leave this planet. The Bible says it's an old interesting saying. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Well, we have to think about that for a minute. Why is that? Because we're going to, as we inconvenience our life, we do something the way Jesus would do it, just as he did for this woman at the well. See, Jesus had a real encounter. This woman had trouble in her life. In fact, as we read on here, you're going to see just what kind of issues she had in her life. The Bible records it for us. Now, the reason it's recorded for us is to let you know that, first of all, God just doesn't always reach out to goody-two-shoe people. Now, sometimes he does. I've often used the illustration 
that uh, many people heard about uh, Nikki Cruz many years ago, uh, one of the gang leaders in New York, and this is before MS-13 and some of these other notorious gangs are, but Nikki Cruz was part of it, and uh, Ralph Wilkerson went and and uh, brought him to the Lord, and his life changed, and, and his gang got saved, and so uh, he wrote a book called Cross and the Switchblade because of all the drug dealing and all the zip guns and all the stuff that they were doing. And God reaches out to everyone. I've often said, because of the life that I had when I was raised in a Christian home and I accepted the Lord when I was five, my book would be probably called Cross and the Butter Knife. Because again, I didn't have all the the, the gangster warfare going on and everything like that. But God kept me from all the, the tears and the pain and the sorrow that many people experience in a life without him. But here's the point. Jesus, knowing the condition of this woman went out of his way to find her. And he found her at the well. Now, again, so he says, she says to him, verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it he himself as well as his sons and his livestock? She's uh, chiding with him a little bit here. She's uh, kind of miffing him a little bit, saying, are you better than that? Yeah, yeah, you're talking about this living water. Is what you're offering better than the water that, that this, our, our, our uh, Jacob gave us? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me some of this water that I may not thirst, nor have to come here to draw water anymore. She was looking for a a shortcut. And so Jesus said, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. Now, some people wonder if this woman wasn't trying to pick up on Jesus at this point. Well, go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Now, if she was flittering her eyes, maybe she was picking up on Jesus. I don't know. But it says here, you've said, Jesus said, you've said, well, you have no husbands. For you have had five husbands, and the one you are now living with is not your husband, in that you've spoke truly. Wow. Now, this is kind of interesting. A lot of people always perhaps picture this woman as a floozy. She went through uh, husbands like some of us go through boxes of cereal. But the point is, we don't really know what happened to her husbands. This woman could have just been a really bad cook. Maybe killed them all. I don't know. Maybe it was just because of the nature of who she was dating or marrying could be. You know, you can find people that are, are ill and, and marry somebody and become a widow. This happened to this woman five times. And I don't know, maybe she just gave up and just decided to live with the guy. I don't know. But whatever it was, Jesus said, you've answered truly. You've had five husbands and the one you're currently with is not your own. Now notice here, 
The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, what happens sometimes in conviction? And this, I think, is really important because as we look at this up close, as Jesus is ministering, sharing with this woman about living water and you need more in your life than just a physical drink of water. You need something more that's going to carry you. He begins to get in and he he was prompted by the Spirit, I believe, to ask this woman, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, that's right, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now, uh, you're not married to. And so she says, whoa, I perceive you're a prophet. And then all of a sudden, now notice the conversation goes from talking about water, living water, husbands, to a gear change into the spiritual realm. Now you'll find this oftentimes as you share your faith with people. You'll find that you'll have a conversation. You might be talking about anything from traffic tickets to, to uh, how cold it's been or how hot it's been to something sparks something and then it'll move into a spiritual realm. Now notice she changes the gears because I believe at this point when Jesus said who you're with right now, I believe she came under conviction. Because she knew that wasn't right. And so in order to compensate for it, she brings in a spiritual aspect. Our fathers worship in the mountain. And you Jews say in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. She changes it. Now you'll find this a lot of times in the Bible and other places, even from Jesus' own disciples. We remember that Jesus sent his disciples into Jericho to find a place for them as as Jesus is on his way to um, be crucified. And, And we remember that he said, go get us a room. So they go into town, they come back, and they said, no one would give us a room. Now, I don't know whether it was just because of who they were or whether there was a, maybe a rodeo in town or something, I don't know. They were all, wherever it was, all the rooms were taken. And then we find the two disciples of Jesus said, James and John, sons of Zebedee, they were called sons of thunder. We see why. Shall we call fire down and burn them up? Uh, don't you think, I, I can just see Jesus go, don't you think that's a little extreme? <laughs> you can't get a motel room, and so you want to call fire down from heaven and burn them up because you can't get a motel room. Yeah, that's a little radical. But I noticed something that they did. James and John, they said, like Elijah did. You know, if you're going to do something kind of wicked, kind of harsh, kind of irrational, sometimes you want to wrap it in some kind of a Christianese. You want to make it sound spiritual. We, you know, we can't get a motel room. Yeah, they turned us down at the Motel 6. Shall we call fire down from heaven and burn them up like Elijah did? Well, Elijah never called fire down from heaven and burnt people up because he couldn't get a motel room. This woman, same way. She comes under conviction when Jesus says, and who you're with is not your own. She says, well, let's talk about where we worship. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is 
when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. In other words, he's saying that your relationship with God, worship isn't just in one spot, whether Gerizim or whether in Jerusalem, it's where you stand. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.